I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. KSL's Live Mike. Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to Live Mike. In just a moment, we're going to be discussing uh, some more of the heroes who have received some some honor and who I believe deserve even greater honor. But uh, before we get to that, I want to add a little bit to a story that broke here on the program uh, about an hour ago. And that was during a conversation with Greg Hughes, former Speaker of the Utah House, who was at the state nominating convention, voted to serve as an elector along with five other Utahns to cast their vote as members of the Electoral College, which took place uh, here today at noon at the state capitol. Uh, one of those six elected to serve as elector was uh, Attorney General Sean Reyes. And we learned during our conversation with Greg Hughes that Mr. Reyes was unable to fulfill his duties as elector today uh, due to something having to do with COVID-19 and that Mia Love, the seventh most vote getter, uh, was was able to, you know, report to the Capitol and fulfill the duties as elector. Now, the the updated information is hopefully good news for Sean Reyes. Unable to, this comes from uh, the Attorney General's office, he was unable to participate today as an elector because he's quarantining after COVID-19 exposure. Uh, the Chief of Staff there says that uh, it was not, while the exposure, rather, was not while he attended uh, a White House luncheon last week and that his test results, uh, those, again, test results of uh, Attorney General Sean Reyes, uh, should be back tomorrow. Uh, so no confirmed cases there. Uh, we just wish everyone the, the very best and also pleased that the system, you know, had uh, safeguards in place. Where Utah was able to cast, uh, according to process and procedure, all six of its electoral votes. Anyway, uh, so we'll certainly follow the, the progress of the Attorney General. Uh, wish him the, the very best, hoping for a, uh, a negative test result on COVID-19. Anyway, before we wrap up the program, about seven minutes before it's time for me to say goodbye for the day, uh, Time Magazine each year, as you well know, it comes out with its person of the year or people of the year. This uh, this go around awarded to President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. 
We also just got off the phone with another recipient of a time annual uh, honor, and that was Guardian of the Year Pete Sands, uh, a man who uh, on the Navajo Nation is the program manager of the Utah Navajo Health System and has come up with a, a program to address the needs of those uh, you know members of the nation in terms of uh, food and firewood and water, uh, you know, basic needs that. You know, due to circumstance and scarcity and, uh, and many other things uh, are in great need uh, and are in short supply. And so this man, Pete Sands, who's been honored by Time Magazine as one of the guardians of the year, uh, is uh, a Utah himself. And that's wonderful. Now, as I have been combing through these lists, there are a few uh, people I, uh, I haven't seen. If, if you think to uh, Time's Person of the Year... Uh, I think that this year, while entirely dominated by the arrival of old Aunt Rona, the coronavirus pandemic, it, it is absurd to me that you don't award or that Time magazine didn't award their person of the year distinction or their group of the year or however they chose to uh, determine it to those who were responsible for the development of the vaccine. It is the vaccine that will lead us out of this nightmare, out of these woods we've been lost within for so long now. It is the light at the end of the tunnel, and with each day that ticks by, that light gets brighter and brighter. And yet somehow the developers of the vaccine and those who have been so crucial in the process of development have, for the most part, uh, gone unknown. Think of, think of the great scientists of yesteryear, Jonas Salk. Yeah, that's a name you know. Who will be the Jonas Salk of the coronavirus vaccine? The, the way things are going, we may not know. There may not be a, an individual to uh, to bear that honor. And listen, I understand that all of this, even in the Salk era, is a collaborative effort. And it may be difficult. A collaborative effort where uh, where minute scientific developments all in concert are you know, what brought about this now FDA-approved vaccine. But we can try. Here on this radio program, uh, not that many weeks ago, we told the story of the husband and wife team behind the leading vaccine to solve COVID-19. And those are the husband and wife team, German founders of uh, BioNTech. Now, I'm going to admit to you, their names are difficult to pronounce, and I don't want to disrespect them by getting it so incredibly wrong. But would you, if you have a moment, uh, just Google around and familiarize yourself with uh, this husband and wife team, the founders of BioNTech. And while you're there, I'd also invite you to familiarize yourself with the uh, work of a Chinese doctor. And I am going to approximate the pronunciation. I may get this wrong, but uh, I read it as Zhang Yongzhen. Dr. Zhang Yongzhen. Now, Time earlier in the year did throw his name in the list of 100 most influential people. Why? From Time Magazine, the write-up on Mr. Dr. Zhang Yongzhen reads, The COVID-19 pandemic has been a global disaster, but it could have been much worse. The saving grace was Zhang Yongzhen who led a team that published the first SARS-CoV-2 genome. Just days after the first cluster of cases emerged and likely within weeks of its jump into humans, that data allowed scientists around the world to begin developing tests for dedicating 
in detecting the virus as early as January. As a result, China and other countries steadily closed the gap between infection and diagnosis, helping to flatten the curve and saving countless lives in the process. It continues, the Zhang team's unprecedented speed was made possible by the extraordinary disease monitoring network that they had built to detect emerging flu strains. And I have read of many who thank the incredibly swift ability of Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, the other candidate vaccine companies around the world right now to the work that transpired over those few days in early January when Zhang Yongzhen and his team were able to identify and document and publish and share freely the genome of this SARS COVID-2 virus which has so ravaged the world and this has been a tough year but it could have been a tough half decade or decade if it weren't for the work of this man right here. And so why do I bring all this up? Well, it's because I know that my simplistic mind needs, uh, we need, I need an example. I need someone to strive to be like. And I like when there is an individual or an organization that embodies uh, the ideals uh, for which I think are worthy of our praise. And this man's work here, the couple founders of BioNTech and all of those unnamed scientists behind the scenes at Pfizer and Moderna and the other companies, uh, they ought to somehow, uh, from you and me, once this is all behind us and the COVID dust had settled, uh, get a standing ovation. A warm round of applause. My thanks to them. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.